0: Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. Life, faith, together.
1: Uh, the Bible readings from Matthew chapter 9 and verses 9 to 17.
0: As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew at, sitting at the tax, tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up, and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor But the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst and the brine will run out and the wine and skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new
1: wineskins and both are preserved. Well, in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 17, Jesus tells this parable and we read. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, their skins will burst and the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. In, in those days, they they didn't keep wine in, in wine bottles. They, they would keep them keep the wine in wineskins, which were, they were actually just goat skins that were sewn together, sewn around the edges uh, to make them watertight. And when wine, new wine, is placed in the bag, a new bag, it, it, would, it would expand. Uh, as it would, would ferment, it, it would s- expand. And so the new wineskin would have to stretch Uh, And and, uh, obviously, and expand as the wine fermented. Therefore, you would never put new wine into an old wineskin that's already been stretched. And has already become rigid and brittle. Because if you put new wine into an old wineskin, it it would burst it. Because it had no more elasticity. And in that case, you would lose all your wine. It would be spilt on the floor and your lovely wine skin would be ruined as well. So you would only put new wine into new wine skins. And so over here, Jesus is giving some really good advice. It's really good advice. But, but Jesus is not giving a home economics lesson. This is not a, a design and technology lesson. Uh, no, no, this is a parable. That means this is a metaphor, a a symbol for something else. What does it symbolize? Well, the new wine was a symbol for the new teaching and ministry that Jesus was bringing. And the wineskin was a symbol for our hearts and our attitudes. Are our hearts open and flexible and teachable? Or are our hearts too rigid and inflexible? Too brittle and closed to receive the new wine of Jesus? Will the Pharisees' hearts work? You see, Jesus didn't just tell this parable out of the blue one day as if he was walking along and suddenly a really good parable popped into his head. No. No, he tells this parable in response to two questions that the, the Pharisees and some of the disciples of John the Baptist, who were siding with the Pharisees on this occasion, had asked him. You see, the situation was this. In in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9, we discover that Jesus has called a guy by the name of Matthew, who is a tax collector, to become one of his disciples. Now, nobody likes to pay taxes, right? Okay, so nobody likes to pay taxes. But in those days, it was a lot worse. You see, tax collectors were considered to be frauds and cheats. Everybody knew how the system worked. They would way overcharge everyone. They would squeeze everyone as tight as they could because they got to keep the excess, the profits. That was their incentive. So if you think of a a hard-nosed bureaucratic tax collector with the motivation of a dodgy second-hand used car salesman, you get a good picture of Matthew. But to make matters worse, tax collectors were also considered to be traitors. Matthew was a Jew. He was collecting taxes from the Jewish people, but he was collecting taxes for the Romans, a a foreign nation. The the nation that had invaded Israel, the, the nation that was currently the occupying force in Israel, and Matthew's collecting taxes for them. It, that they pay, the Jews are paying taxes for the privilege of being invaded. And the Romans are exploiting them through very high taxes. No wonder they were considered to be a traitor. Imagine a Jew like Matthew collecting taxes, collaborating with the, the enemy and helping the enemy to exploit his own people. He was cheating his own people. And so tax collectors were the most hated of all the people in Israel. And as a result, all tax collectors would have been kicked out of the synagogue. Uh, Because they would have brought shame onto their family, their, their, their families would publicly disown them. No one would dare to be a friend of a tax collector, because if you were a friend with a tax collector, you too would be kicked out of synagogue and publicly disowned. Yet Jesus chooses Matthew, a tax collector, to be one of his disciples. And to make matters even worse, he goes to Matthew's house for a dinner party. And we read in verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, because Matthew's got no friends, well, or at least no respectable friends, he's invited all the lowlife scum in town to his house for a dinner party. I mean, it's It's wall-to-wall tax collectors and sinners. There are prostitutes there. There's a guy who's cheated on his wife. There's a single mom with a drug problem. There's a guy in the corner smoking a joint. And Jesus. And he's eating with them. They're eating together. Now, now, that isn't so shocking to us. Because in our culture, we will eat with anyone. Especially if they pay But in Middle Eastern culture, eating with someone was a big deal. To to sit down and have a meal with someone signified an intimate fellowship. It, It was a way of saying, come into my life. I want to have a personal relationship with you. It was a way of saying, I welcome you. I accept you. By Jesus, eating with them signified that he wanted a personal relationship with them and that he welcomed them, accepted them, and forgave them. It's kind of like when we take communion. We've just taken communion earlier. It it symbolizes when we eat together and drink together, it symbolizes our fellowship with one another and our fellowship with God. And so you can see how shocking this would be for a Jew, especially a rabbi, a a religious teacher. All the other rabbis and the synagogues had kicked them out. They wouldn't be seen with a sinner or a tax collector, let alone eat with them. And the problem is it's all so public. In that culture, when you had a dinner party, you would have all the windows open. You would have the doors open so everyone can look in and see. There are people there with their phones. They're taking photographs. They're uploading them to TikTok. It's trending on Twitter. Before you know it, the Pharisees are there. And we read in verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, the Pharisees are the religious guys. They belong to this very strict Jewish sect. And the word Pharisee literally means separate ones. That's because they they believe they need to remain separate from everyone else because they don't want to become contaminated uh, by their their sin. So they remain separate. And they're completely obsessed with obeying the law of Moses, the, the Ten Commandments, and so on. Obsessed with obeying it in the most strictest way possible. And so their rabbis have developed many rules. Many rules uh, to ensure that they obey the law of Moses to the, the minutest detail. They have rules for everything. Rules for eating. Rules for washing. Rules for fasting. Rules for tithing. They even have rules about how to tithe their herbs. You get the idea, rules for this, rules for that, rules for everything. Everything's got to be kosher. And for them, uh, God would never have fellowship with you. We would never eat with you unless you first followed all these rules. You first had to repent, then you had to be ceremonially washed. You then had to obey all these rules and become just like them. Then, and only then, would God accept you and have fellowship with you. And only then would they, the Pharisees, have a meal with you. So they would never in a million years have a meal with sinners and tax collectors. And so they can't believe what they've seen. And the problem they have is this. They believe Jesus is setting a bad example. You know, you expect more Uh, from a rabbi, especially from a religious teacher. And and they're concerned that if Jesus eats with them, then they're going to think that God welcomes them and accepts them and forgives them just as they are, as sinners. And this is just, just too much for the Pharisees. This is unacceptable. You see, their hearts, are cold and rigid and inflexible like an old wineskin. Their hearts are unable to expand and stretch to believe that God could love in such a way, that God could forgive in such a way. And so they ask Jesus' disciples. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The disciples aren't able to answer because their mouths are full with food. So they just shrug and look at Jesus. And so Jesus says in verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now that's a good point. Imagine if a doctor said, Look, keep all these sick people away from me because I don't want to get infected. Uh, that, that would be ridiculous. And if Jesus is the doctor who has come to bring healing, then you would expect him to be hanging out with the sick. But Jesus has also been ironic here. In effect, what he is saying to the Pharisees, if you don't need forgiveness, tongue in cheek, well, then excuse me, I need to get on with my work. He's actually claiming that the Pharisees themselves need God's forgiveness, but they're too self-righteous, they're too proud to even realize. And therefore, Jesus can't do anything to help them because they think they're too good that they don't need any help from Jesus. And so Jesus says in verse 13, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, from Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Well, what does that mean? What does he mean by that? Well, what it means. Is God is not interested in your sacrifices. What you can do for him. God doesn't want your rituals. God wants you. God wants your heart. Religious people like the Pharisees believe that God owes them. God owes them. They've made sacrifices. So now God owes them. And and, and for the Pharisees, I mean, they've like literally made sacrifices. They've actually gone to the temple and made sacrifices to God, but they've also made other kinds of sacrifices that they've obeyed all these rules. They haven't done this. They haven't done that. They've They've followed all these rules about fasting. They've followed rules about tithing. They've even gone as far as tithing their herbs. They've they've made all these sacrifices so God owes them. And this is the way of the human heart. We think it's just, just them. Their hearts were cold and rigid. But we also like that. We all like that. We go, God, you owe me. I've made sacrifices. You owe me. I've, I, I haven't done this and I, I haven't done that. And, I, and, and I, I've gone to church and I've read my Bible and I've prayed. You owe me. I've made sacrifices. You need to answer my prayers. I've, I've made sacrifices. You owe me. Even non-Christians are all like that. I, I'm a good person. I'm a decent person. I'm a kind person. I do charitable work. If there is a God, he owes me. but God is not interested in your sacrifices he's not interested in what you can that what you do he doesn't want your rituals he wants you he wants your heart and religious people look down on other people they're looking down on other people that don't make the same sacrifices as them, who, who don't obey all their rules, like the, the sinners and the tax collectors. They even look down on Jesus and his disciples, because they too don't obey all their rules. They don't obey all their rules about fasting. The Pharisees would had rules about fasting. They would fast twice a week out of duty. Whereas Jesus' disciples, Jesus and his disciples were constantly going to dinner parties, eating and drinking. And so they looked down on Jesus. They looked down on the Son of God. And the reason why why we do that is because it makes us feel better about ourselves. It helps us to justify ourselves. You know, that they will say, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. I mean, I make mistakes. Of course, I make mistakes, but, but my mistakes are small sins. <laughs> but they, they, look at those guys over there. They do big sins. And so, religious people divide the world into two kinds of people. For them, they're just two kinds of people there's the righteous, people like themselves, who do little sins. And then they're the sinners, other people who do big sins. How do they define what is a little sin and what is a big sin? Well, in the exact same way we do. Our sins are the little ones, and other people's are the big ones. It's that simple. We have a when we all do, it's not just religious people, it's the way the human heart works. We look down on others. We judge others, but we ignore, justify, or excuse our own mistakes. Now, you might object and say, whoa, wait a second. No, I'm not like that. I don't look down on people. I don't judge people. I'm I'm like super tolerant. I'm not like those closed-minded religious folk. I'm an open-minded person. I accept everyone. I don't think I'm better than anyone. Really? What do you think of? What do you think about closed-minded religious people? Well, I can't stand them. They're narrow-minded and intolerant. Well, you're exactly the same. You've just defined righteous and sinner at a different place. For you, what is a big sin is closed-minded religious people. Done exactly the same. You've just done it at a different point. It's the way the human heart works. And so Jesus says in verse 13, For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. What he's essentially saying is, I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sins. I've come to call those who, who don't rely on their sacrifices, what they've done, but, but those who rely on mercy. God's love and compassion and forgiveness. You see, God... He's not interested in our sacrifices and what we do. He doesn't want our rituals. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants to come and have a meal with you. He wants to eat with you. He wants to have a personal relationship with you because he loves you. And the way we get to have this meal, this personal relationship with Jesus is by acknowledging that God doesn't own us, owe us anything. God doesn't owe us. And that there aren't big sins and and, and little sin. There is just sin. And so we all need mercy. We all need God's love and compassion and forgiveness. But the good news is, Jesus eats with sinners. Jesus comes for people like you and me, sinners. And he wants to throw a dinner party for you because he loves you. This is the new wine that Jesus brings. And in order to receive this new wine, we need our old wineskins to burst. We need our old, rigid, cold, inflexible hearts to burst open. And we need a new heart. We need the Holy Spirit to come into our life. We need the Holy Spirit. We can have this right now. The Holy Spirit can come into your life and He can bring a new heart. He he can pour into your heart and He will burst that old wineskin. We need the Holy Spirit to come in and give us a new heart, an open heart, a humble heart. We need the Holy Spirit to come and fill our hearts with mercy, with God's love and compassion and forgiveness to come into our hearts and fill us with purpose so that we can enjoy the new wine of Jesus. Do you need your old wine skin to be burst open? Do you need a new heart? Do you need the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you eat with sinners. With sinners like like me. That you didn't come for those who think they're righteous, but you came for those who know they're sinners. But, Father, we confess our hearts are often like those old wineskins, rigid and inflexible, proud and self-righteous, quick to judge others and excuse ourselves. Father, won't you forgive us? Father, and by your Holy Spirit right now, send your your Spirit right now to burst that old wineskin, to burst that old, rigid, inflexible heart. And Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit right now, you would give us a new heart, a humble heart, a pure heart, an open and flexible heart. And Father, we pray that you would pour your love and compassion and forgiveness into us. Pour your Spirit into us. Give us new purpose. Help us to see everyone the way you see them. We ask us all in the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: For more information, please visit our website at
1: abergavennybaptist.co.uk.